Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Untold lilies of the valley, fragrance of honeysuckle and daphne, drift through gazebo and pergola. Raise the line of lights and cleanse me in intricate fountains as the emerald hour descends in the garden of the moon underwater. Folks, alack and alas, it's Landlord alone, but only briefly. Robin is in the garden of the moon underwater. He is assessing some of the new uh, plantings, uh, some of the infinity pools as well. Uh, I say infinity pools, it's actually infinite pools. We have sort of an uncountable number of pools here in the Moon Underwater Garden, and each shimmer with a different style, a different sort of glow. Some contain uh, water lilies, some contain, I'm going to say, aquaflowers of the Orient, if that's a phrase you're familiar with, um, but with strange and intricate uh, sort of petalings. Um, But every so often we have to sort of just sort of tend to them in the garden here at the Moon Underwater. So I, I know Robin enjoys it at this sort of... It's before the gloaming hour, but after the witching hour. So basically before half six, but after half four. Usually around half five, when the light is still quite quite strong, but it it's paled somewhat with peaches and pinks before the impending violets upon violets. So anyway, Robin's out the back sorting all that out. Um, hopefully uh, emptying the bins as well. Which leaves me, Johnny J.R., the landlord, to welcome you to the moon underwater once more. We're a little bit behind with the prep for this week's guest, but I have enough time. I mean, Robin's been out in that garden for quite a while now, so I sighed for the mail. The mail was late today, and I sighed oh so many sighs. And uh, the the mist said, you don't you need to sigh once. And I said, yeah, but we've all got different sorts of packages. 
I've got big boxes. I've got letters. I've got sort of fatter letters that I'm pretty sure are brochures that I don't want. Uh, but amongst the packages and the bigger packages and the letters, uh, some lovely mists from you guys. Uh, and you can get in contact with us, john at moonunderpod.com. Uh, first off is a message from Lawrence, who just listened to our most recent bonus podcast episode. That's the uh, Behind the Cellar Door and on the last episode of Behind the Cellar Door, Robin and I played clips of some of our favourite pub songs, and some of our favourite sort of drinking and bar-based songs, with quite a lot of chat about the merits of songs about pubs and bars and drinking and some of the, some of the contradictions that lie within that sort of music. And Lawrence said, Dear John and Robin, thanks for the podcast, very much enjoying it. Just a quick message to let you know that behind the cellar door pub song episode made me pull over while driving to work, stop what I was doing, and find a recording of The Parting Glass by The Voice Squad, and then I listened to it. Two minutes and 48 seconds where I couldn't stop crying at how nice it all was. Anyway, I'm now late for work. Keep up the good work, Lawrence. Thank you very much, Lawrence. And uh, folks, if you want to hear that episode of Behind the Cellar Door, then please subscribe on Patreon because the Behind the Cellar Door bonus podcast is available for the, what would you call it? The second and third tiers, I guess. That's spelled T-E-A-R-S. The second and third tiers. The first tier, um, when when you shed the first tier, get the extended podcast without adverts. The second tier, you get the bonus podcast. And the third tier, you get uh, advanced tickets. I think you maybe get that with your second tier as well when that's shed. Um, advanced notice of tickets for the live shows, which are still going at pace, still tickets left. And the third tier, you also get a mention uh, in the patron's poem and a few other things which I've forgotten. But anyway, thank you, Lawrence. Uh, this is from Gareth in Mid Wales. He says, Dear Landlord John and Regular Robin, your thoughts, please, around whether hot drinks have a place in pubs of realms real and unreal. I'm torn about the idea of somehow making the pub more a place of comfort, but perhaps that's what the fire is for. If you need a a warmer, do you turn to the medicinal properties of whiskies, rums or brandies? Or is there a place for the hot toddy? Or a seasonal mulled wine to take the chill off, maybe after a walk to a pub on the edge of a salt marsh? Ooh, what a lovely idea. With skeins of geese flying overhead. That's another issue with hot drinks in pubs. There's something of the hunt about it. Can we agree that beverages, your teas, your coffees, your hot chocolates, should stay out of the pub and keep their place in the milk bar or waffle house? Best wishes, Gareth. Well, G-Man, I have to say I think I... And I'm sure, Robin, were he not tending to the lilies and the infinite pools? I think hot drinks do have a place in the pub because anything that makes a pub more accessible for non-drinkers is good... You know, there's nothing worse if you're a a Desi driver and you're faced with just sort of Coke or lemonade or squash. Second, I would say that a lot of pubs rely on food for their income, especially in such troubled times. And, you know, people might want a coffee with their lunch, might want a cup of tea with their breakfast bap. Who knows? So I think uh, for me... Your hot drinks have got to be, uh, certainly your non-alcoholic hot drinks have got to be uh, accepted and provided for. That's not to say that were I ordering a few pints and the person in front of me was ordering three hot chocolates with marshmallows and cream on top. Yeah, you're going to get a tut. 
I'm going to feel slightly frustrated, but I would respect their right to have that, though one may argue there are better places to get three hot chocolates with marshmallows and uh, whipped cream. But I think certainly before sort of 6pm, that's fine. And just on a personal level, what are you doing ordering caffeine after 6pm? You're never going to bloody sleep. Um, But I love the smell of mulled wine in a pub in sort of November and December. Oh man, do I love that? Yes, I do. And especially if the pub have properly made it themselves and haven't got one of those sort of weird, you can actually get sort of temporary draft mulled wine, which, you know, I think part of the process of the mulling is your cinnamons, your cloves, your oranges, your brandies, whack a bit of port in there, why don't you? Uh, So yeah, I'm afraid, Gareth, I'm a big fan of the old uh, hot toddies, big fan of the mulled wine, and I think your teas, your coffees, your lattes, your hot chocolates certainly have a place before 6pm. After that, you're running the risk of a very sleepless night, but, uh, you know, everyone's reaction to caffeine is different. So, folks, a shorter intro today, but there's a lot of prep to be done. Uh, Robin should be... Ah, he's on his way back. I can see him... I can see him clomping in his Wellington boots uh, through the rear door here at the Moon Underwater. So now he's here to watch the bar. Uh, I'm going to head down to the cellar because the wine needs attending to. The wine bottles need some very specific attention. So uh, very soon... I will be back up and we will be spick and span for this week's guest. Oh, Rob, that's a job I don't like doing, turning the wine. Turning the wine? Yes, uh, turning the wine, because you actually have to turn the bottles inside out once every six to eight weeks in order to keep it at uh, its maximum vibrancy. It's a very messy job. Do you like a lot of dust on the bottle? Well, you dust the bottles first, then you turn them inside out, you catch the wine in a receptacle, you swill it around, and then you uh, refill so the outside of the bottle becomes the inside of the bottle. There's a knack to it, and it does take a, a bit of getting used to. And what, what does that do? It enhances the fullness and the vibrancy of the wine, I'm told. And, of course, the wine here has to be so full. Smelly airs. What they do is, they, you, with their noses, they test smelly air, don't they? Is that, is that why they're called smelly airs? Yes, because they smell the air. And, it's, and they go, oh, this is a very smelly air. Yeah, but then they sort of um, break that down into sort of key te- sort of smelling notes, I guess. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad your wines are inside out, mate. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a weight off my shoulders because we've got another, as I say, six to eight weeks until we need to do that again. But more important that the wine is in good order for our guest this evening, who I, from, the, from the clip-clop of hooves, I think is coming towards the moon underwater. He's not a horse, but I believe he is in some kind of cleft-hooved drawn vehicle, but perhaps by, drawn by pigs. Goats? Who could be pigs or goats, or, or a mixture of the two, depending on what the Moon Underwater's taxi driver has in the pen when you arrive at the uh, house to get It's a very beautiful carriage, very ornate with several markings. Yeah, Marcus, the, uh, the taxi driver. 
Yes, Marcus with his markings and gold embossed finery, I think is the term. But I do think it's a shame that it is drawn by pigs and goats because it doesn't really fit, doesn't fit the vehicle. Oh, but that's the characteristic sound of hooves ceasing. And Marcus is off for a, a good night's sleep. And... Uh, Marcus is off into his bothy because there's actually a bothy near the moon underwater where, Mar- where Marcus rests. And delights, I have to say, in the absence of hoof noise. Ah, oh, yeah, he's haunted by hooves. You get a sort of lack in the air. And there, at the door, we welcome him in. It's comedian, author and pub activist, James Downswell. Good day to you, gentlemen. Good evening. Good day and good evening to you too, James. Come over and pull up a pint or pull up a pew. What do you make of the moon underwater? Wow, it's, it's even better than I thought it would be. Uh, what's your favourite element? What's my favourite element? I like its atmosphere. Yeah, a lot of people have spoken about the atmosphere. There's a density to the atmosphere here. And uh, those are the famed particles of desire in the air. Now then, James, we've known each other a very, very long time. And I've known of your legacy even longer because we both cut our teeth in the Bristol stand-up comedy scene. And uh, we are part of the sort of, I would say, the golden age of Southwest stand-up. Would you agree? (laughs) Yeah, I'd agree entirely. The golden generation. The class of 92 of 2005. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When John started, he did a lot of deadpan material, a lot of one-liners. Do you remember John's first forays? I actually first remember meeting John in the pub. and. I think we met for a lunchtime lunch and we went to Hullabaloo's on White Ladies Road. And John, you were on absolute fire. And I thought, who's this funny bloke? And you were just firing on all cylinders. It was me, you, Oliver, Russell and uh, Richardson. Is that when Justin Lee Collins walked past? Yes. And we asked him what he was doing and he was presenting a show where you flip a coin. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I think that's about right, yes. Yeah. I think at Hullabaloo's, I was obsessed because they did an offer on mini cheeseburgers. That was it, yes. You got two cheeseburgers for like six quid or something, and I couldn't quite believe how lucky we were to be able to have two cheeseburgers. My links to the Dowdswells go even further back, and I suppose for you as well, John, because my parents were patrons of your dad's pub, the family pub, the Anchor, just outside Thornbury. So, you know, the, 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 link, the, the links go deep. Well, Thornbury was where I was born and raised. And the anchor, there were two anchors in Thornbury, weren't there, James? Which was your anchor? The real one, the one in Oldbury. So describe the anchor in Oldbury. I probably only went there a couple of times as a kid for maybe a, an evening meal or something. But describe to the Moon Underwater listeners the anchor at Oldbury. The anchor at Oldbury is a, a classic old-style pub. It's got two entrances. It's got the normal entrance at front, which is the lounge bar, and you've got a side entrance, the locals bar. The, the click of the latch that gives it the old... And in you walk, and everybody turns around and stares at you. That one has hard floors, 
and is uh, dedicated to drinking. And the one next door, you can have a drink, but you can also have something to eat. Nice. And it has the most fabulous beer garden as well, the Anchor. Expansive. It does have a nice, fabulous beer garden and uh, has a bull's piece at the end. Uh, my bedroom was above the locals' bar. So uh, as a kid, I would hear things I probably shouldn't have done. My parents took me there a lot. My, both my parents taught at Castle School in Thornbury and they knew your dad very well. I had a great message, actually, from a, the music teacher called Peter Cox, who um, used to go there with my dad. And whenever your dad would ask for glasses at the end of the night, my dad and him would take their glasses off as a joke to pretend to give to your dad. <laughs> <laughs> but the, great, the funny thing is, when you're talking about the bar there, is I basically have no memory of the bar, because as kids we were just always in the garden. So the bar was a place of real mystery for me. Never knew what it was like, a real place of kind of forbidden delights. I was allowed there as a kid, obviously. In fact, famously, I slept walked down into the uh, locals' bar a couple of times about half ten at night and just emerged in my Spider-Man pyjamas, which was uh, quite <laughs> notorious. Yeah. Growing up in a pub was great. I mean, I was essentially born and brewed in a pub. And what I would do when I was um, sort of six... I'd help with the cellar work, I'd help bottling up. And what I loved is there used to be characters that come in from 11 o'clock and there used to be this guy called Jacko who used to wear a, a sea captain's hat and a donkey jacket. And this, Actually, he was allowed in before 11 o'clock. He was about half 10. And uh, it was brilliant. I felt like Jim Hawkins from Treasure Island talking to uh, Bones. What stuff did you witness behind the scenes of a pub that people who haven't worked or, or lived in a pub would, would not be familiar with? Well, I suppose the biggest thing is that my parents only have one night off a week. So they'd have Tuesday night off. So they'd leave the pub at half six, but they'd have to get back by half ten. So if you are thinking of taking a pub, it is idyllic, but you live in your workplace and you can't leave it. So it, it, you're on 24-7, essentially. And where would they go on their nights off to another pub? <laughs> yes they would go to another pub my dad being my dad he would go to the rival pub and show there was no rivalry and everything was completely fine was that the white horse the ship in fact people still some of my dad's mates still talk about his stag do in the ship that lasted three days and there were people climbing in and out of the windows crumbs <laughs> Crumbs indeed. What sort of drinks did they sell? What What are the ales of your youth, I guess is what I'm saying? The ones that I grew up with were Theakston's, Theakston's Best Bitter and Bass. Bass was quite famous because um, they actually served it, although it was on a hand pump, the Bass barrel was behind the bar, so it only had a very small pipe to go through, so it was sort of almost pure Bass coming at you. The first pint I ever remember drinking was a pint of Bass in the knot of rope in Thornbury. It was like a cream flow system, so it came out like Guinness, but it was a sort of a, an ale. Oh, man, to taste those pints of my youth once more. It's, it's actually 4.4% bass, but growing up, it feels stronger than that. I don't know why. It might be a high ABV, but it's only 4.4. Well, it, it's sort of got a thickness, a, a thickness to it, which perhaps suggests weightier drinks. When you moved out of home and out of the pub... Did you leave the world of pub husbandry 
pub wifery behind you to pursue stand-up? Or did you always have sort of links to the pub industry? Because we're going to come on in a second to talk about how you've sort of picked up that flame in recent years. Yeah, I always had links to the pub. I was always the, the pub kid, as it were. You know, when I was a kid, 13 years old, I'd mow lawns of other pubs. I'd work in pubs behind bars. And when I went to university, at the end of the first year, the landlord of our local took me aside and said, you seem to spend all of your time and all of your money in this pub. Why don't you just come and work for me and then uh, you'll actually earn money while you're here. (laughs) So I said, yeah, okay. So it's the one and only time I've been (laughs) headhunted. So I worked at the local pub. It was the Woodman in Swansea near uh, Klein Gardens. And what was great about it was because there's a load of students that come in, but also you had links to all the, the locals. So I got to see the other side of Swansea. And it's very different to the side that students see, the underbelly. And you started, I remember, because we've been in um, at the Edinburgh Festival in sort of the same year quite a few times. And I remember you did a wine show and... What we're going to talk about now is your book, because you wrote The Pub Manifesto, A Comedian Stands Up for Pubs, which is basically a sort of a 250-page answer to some of the questions we're going to ask you here on The Moon Underwater. I went long form. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. Like, if a foreigner said, have you got a guide to what... I don't understand what pubs are, and they were visiting the UK, I would give them a copy of your book, because it's sort of the best guide to everything to do with pubs but also you're sort of talking about the elements that you think need saving and protecting and some elements that you think need changing but how did you get from that first wine show to writing a book about pubs how i got into the wine show was um you know as a family we thought right we'll go for a weekend away now where does a family that own a pub go for a weekend away and get away from beer well we went to france wine tasting we went to burgundy and uh, I was tasting all these wines and people were showing us what's what. And I fell in love with the passion and thought, this is amazing. So I started getting really into wine. And then I did a show in 2007, Edinburgh, called Simply Wine. And then a few years later, I decided to incorporate beer. And I did a show at the Camden Fringe called Wine, Ale and I. Little pun on the old Withnall and I, my favourite film. And uh, from there, I decided there was a bit in the pub in that show where I mentioned the George Orwell's perfect pub and I asked the audience what would you have in your perfect pub and it broke the show up at that 40 45 minute mark and uh, gave me a lovely sort of 15 minutes to do some impro and then the following year I came back did a show called James Downsall's perfect pub where I just asked the audience what would you have in your perfect pub riffed off it and uh, a friend of mine, Philippa, came to see the show and said, I reckon that'd make a great book. So the next month, I sat down and I wrote the book. You wrote a book in a month? No, no, I started writing the book. I wrote it on my uh, iPhone and I wrote it with this finger. And I was very <laughs> impressed that I wrote an iPhone, uh, a book with a finger until I got RSI quite recently. I've got a huge finger now. And so tell us about the link with camera then, the campaign for Real Ale, because it is a camera book, isn't it? It is camera book. Well, I did a gig at, you might have done this gig, John, as a gig at uh, the Ram Brewery in Wandsworth. And there was a guy who worked for camera who used to come along as a regular. And he said, oh, you know, they've actually got a, a publishing arm. So I phoned them up and told them I had a book. And uh, 
they said send a couple of chapters send a couple of chapters then a week later i got a meeting and um we we set about sorting out the book amazing it's called the pub manifesto what is your sort of uh, pub ethos my pub ethos well i suppose really it's quite interesting with lockdown because lockdown's going to help the whole campaign pub movement because people were getting complacent about pubs and fair enough people haven't got money and they you know buy cheap booze at supermarkets wouldn't necessarily frequent the pub but all we had to do in the pub movement was just take the pub away and everybody wants it again so people <laughs> yeah, are just yeah. mad for the pub now so that that's a lesson in life isn't it you always desire what you can't have yeah, yeah totally exactly <laughs> so we're gonna start creating your perfect pub now james and i'm sure that you probably more than anyone else who's been in the moon underwater will have given this a great deal of thought having visited so many pubs you do gigs in pubs you do book readings in pubs what does your dream pub look like? Well, it's actually not dissimilar to George Orwell's one. In fact, um, I think that Danny Wallace said a lot that resonated with me. My dream pub is near a bus stop, but it is hidden away slightly, so idiots can't find it even on Google Maps. You walk in and you immediately feel at home. It's the kind of pub that you want to get to about 20 minutes before your mates, so you can have a quiet, contemplative pint before they arrive. Mm. So what about the decor? Would that be like the Orwell pub, where it's that kind of Victorian style? Yes, I, I quite like the Victorian style. I really like, for example, the Salisbury um, on Drury Lane. It's a fantastic uh, Victorian style pub. There's a great bit in your book where you actually talk about how the, 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 the pubs that we would recognise in that Victorian style, the Orwell kind of liked would have would have actually been gin houses in the victorian era you know and they were converted into pubs right yeah it's quite amazing isn't it they were the gin palaces they became pubs it's like now uh, we've got all sorts of small box rooms betting shops that are becoming micro pubs everything sort of evolves doesn't it yes yeah yeah i mean what else give a bit a bit more color to this this dream pub of yours well for me i walk into the pub and there aren't that many people in the pub and you just sort of float uh, towards the bar. The lighting has got to be right. It's got to be kind of uh, a low lighting affair that you don't really know what time of day it is. No clocks. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to know well, like what a time casino. It is. <laughs> yeah. No clocks. Um, yeah. Stop all the clocks. It feels like it's nine o'clock at night all the time. Oh, yes. So sort of a constant gloaming hour. Constant gloaming hour. The, the the lighting's just perfect. You walk up to the bar and you can see there's an array of beers on tap and you think, right, what should I try tonight? So what will you try tonight? First off on uh, your choices is two draft items, James. What are you going to have? Well, my first choice is Jaipur a beer from Thornbridge, which is absolute nectar. Uh, Thornbridge started in 2005, and uh, this beer came to my attention in 2009. And the reason I can tell you 2009 was I watched Oz and James May's Wine and Beer Adventure. And this is probably my crossover between wine and beer, in that I was sort of researching for more wine stuff, and Oz Clark said his favourite beer was Jaipur. And a few nights afterwards, I happened to go into the Jolly Butchers in uh, Stoke Newington, and there was Jaipur. And I thought, well, I, 
Oz Clark likes it. I'll, I'll try it. I thought, wow, I was blown away by this beer. Absolutely fantastic. It's 5.9%. Back then, I used to have low fours. Absolute fighting juice, mate. 5.9%. But things have changed now, haven't they? Things have changed in that, you know, 5.9% was a lot then. I mean, if you drank in 2005, if you drank a 9% beer, you were considered an alcoholic. Nowadays, you're an aficionado. You know, we've gone from sort of tenant super to brewdog marvellous. Things have changed, but Jaipur was quite a strong beer at the time. So 5.9%. I mean, I'm not going to drink that all night, but that would be an, my opening drink that I'd love to have. It's um, interesting. It's probably considered the first UK craft beer in that it was produced by a, a small brewery up in Sheffield, Thornbridge. It was based on a, a New England-style beer from uh, the American. They tried to do an American-style craft beer here, and it worked. It's now one of their core beers. Absolutely beautiful. You can now get it, actually, in can, in orange cans. You see it in uh, Sainsbury's and Waitrose. But it used to be one of those beers. I knew all the pubs in London that did it, and there were hardly any. <laughs> so it was one of yeah. those sort of, oh, wow, they've got Jaipur. I'm going to that pub. One of my favourite beers used to be uh, uh, a Thornbridge beer. It's called uh, Wild Swan. And it's a 3.5% white gold pale ale, they describe it as. But they, I think they stopped selling it in bottles. It used to be in Tesco, but you can't get it anymore. I've not had that one. Oh, it's uh, it was delicious, but currently unavailable. Uh, I think you can only get it in cask. I do like that when you get to know pubs for what they have on. I remember because we always really liked that. Is it Fuller's beer called Chiswick? And you don't see it on very often, but they always used to have it on the Harcourt Arms. And I remember I went to the Flyer in Bristol... And I texted John and said, John, they've got Chiswick on in the flyer. I just went in there after work. And John texted back, I'll be there in five minutes. <laughs> 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 it's obviously a loose end, but fabulous. Uh, but, you know, when, you've got to learn the places that do your favourite beers, though. Exactly. But when you see it unexpectedly, it's like bumping into an old friend. Exactly, yeah. Well, it's just exciting, you know, you, because you don't know where it's going to be. Because it is always going to be a guest ale, because they haven't got, a, you know, they haven't bought it. Thornbridge haven't bought a load of pubs, so it was always be a guest ale. But it's like when you when you see an album you really like that's quite obscure on a jukebox, you sort of feel a kinship with the person who runs that establishment because you think, oh, they like what I like. They'll probably like everything I like. I also like the name Jaipur. It's just got a lovely uh, ring to it. I mean, it's the it's an American style beer, but it's it's an IPA, so Indian Pale Ale. But Jaipur, it's got the sort of poor. It just it just sounds like it tastes. It rolls off the tongue. It rolls down the tongue. It rolls into the your guts. So what's your second draft choice, James? My second draft choice, obviously you can't drink a 5.9% beer all night. So my second one is uh, a session ale. You'll like this, John. Timothy Taylor's Landlord. Mm, oh, yes, dear. just a bit. Yeah, love it. So interesting fact about that. In the cask, it's uh, 4.3% alcohol, but in the bottle, bottle conditioned, is only 4.1. Now, I think that's the only beer that has a difference in alcohol, whether you're drinking it from the cask or the bottle. Actually, I've got a feeling that's more common than you might think. I think there are a few lagers that are different between cask and bottle, or can even. I think San Miguel for a while was different depending on whether you... I think it was weaker in the bottle than it was on draft um, and then they realigned them because San Miguel used to be weaker 
But it's interesting because the percentages of beer and cider are sort of a movable feast. They, uh, I think they legally have to be within 10% of what they say they are. By which I mean 10% of the percentage, not like you wouldn't get a can of Stella <laughs> that was actually 15%. Because you, you can't guarantee that something is going to be exactly, say, 4.5%. Mm. Timothy Taylor's a lovely old drop, though, isn't it? I much prefer it uh, you know, on draft than in a bottle, I think. I think that there is a different in, difference in the taste, I would say. What do you think? I enjoy it in the bottle, but out of the cask, it's just got that foamy head. It's it's just a beautiful drop. I nearly picked uh, Sussex Best. Emma Inch picked that, so I thought, well, I'll go for Timothy Taylor's. It was a toss-up between those two. They changed the, the Timothy on the branding of the label, didn't they, recently? A few years ago, it was quite sad to say goodbye to the old Timothy and bring in the new Timothy. But, you know, I suppose that's the nature of Timothy's, isn't it? Well, is it Timothy or is it Timothy Taylor's landlord? That's a good shout. Is it his landlord or is... Or is Timothy Taylor actually the man? Is he the man or is the landlord the man? Do you remember the first time you had landlord, James? Do you know what? I don't. I remember that I think it might have been at a gig up north in that what I used to love doing was going to, say, for example, in Leeds, before doing a, a gig, I used to go in search of a real ale. And oftentimes you'd have to go into about three pubs before you find one. It would have been easier to get crack cocaine, to be honest with you, or get tooled <laughs> up. But around 2005, it's quite difficult to get real ale. I remember going with the comedian Bennett Aaron, and we went on a pub crawl to find real ale. And the third pub we found, we found a pint of Timothy Taylor. And what what was the reason for the sort of ale drought of the mid-2000s? Yeah, I think it was just very unfashionable. It was an old man's drink. Uh, when you thought of real ale, you thought of men with beards, pre-hipster beards, socks and sandals. Um, it was just an old-style thing. Everybody drank lager. It was very much 1990s, wasn't it? Everybody was sort of Corona before Corona. Soul. It was Ladettes. It was Alco Pops. Alco Pops. It was, uh, yeah, Smirnoff Ice, that kind of thing. And at university, you know, I drank Whitbread. I was considered in a minority, A, that I didn't smoke, and B, that I drank real ale, which was considered odd. And, you know, when I come up and did my first gigs in London, the only real ale on tap would be London Pride, the rest would be lager. And then gradually it's changed. Now, in 2005, they changed the amount of tax small brewers would get less tax and that's when the craft beer movement really kicked on james you've got two more choices now uh, your bottled or canned items please uh well my first bottled or canned item is keller pils from lost and grounded brewery the reason I've chosen Keller Pils is uh, it's an absolutely fantastic beer. It's um, the lager for the real ale drinker who quite fancies a lager. So it's a slight crossover. It's got a really, um, it's got a sort of rich mouthfeel to it that a lot of lagers wouldn't necessarily have. It's a, it's an absolutely fantastic beer. First came across it a few years ago. And then, John, we did a gig for Lost and Grounded last summer. Was it last summer? We got given a Lost and Grounded box. I've become quite uh, quite the fan of theirs. In fact, I was invited to uh, the Zoom launch of their um, their Hell's Lager. Uh, it's great fun. I just think it's a brilliant brewery, but the Keller Pils is just delightful. And 
If I had a third draft, I would have gone Keller Pils, but I'm having it in a can. It's a lovely lager, and it's it's unfined as well, isn't it? It's, it's cloudy. Yeah. But it's it's really beautiful. Yeah, they used to have it in draft in the Hair on the Hill in Bristol, I think. It's like if you want the refreshment of lager, but you want that slightly more complex taste that you'd associate with ale, it's really, really nice. It's beautiful. By the way, I love, Rob, when you mentioned the Hair on the Hill and the Hill Grove, because those were two pubs that when I worked in Waterstones in the late 90s, that's where we used to go on the Friday night. It was across between those two and the Bell on Jamaica Street. Oh, yeah. Nice. The Bell's good as well. The Bell's got a little bit of an edge to it, which I don't mind. The Massive Attack boys always used to drink in the Bell when we used to go. What's your second uh, bottle or can, James? It's what I've discovered. In fact, I thought I'd discovered it recently, but I realised I actually mentioned it in my book, but... It's uh, Tegensy Hell's German Lager by Augustina. It's absolutely stunning. Oh, the one with the little monk on the front. Yeah, it's just so clear and crisp. And it is a go-to Friday night on a warm summer's evening. It's an absolute belter. I've never heard anybody say they didn't like it. It's a belter. Oh, it's incredible. Well, you know, if you've ever been to Berlin, where... Uh, drinking outside is much more acceptable than it is here. Just get a, go to the park, get a few beers. Get an Augustina for like two euro from the shop. You're having a laugh. <laughs> I love the intake of breath from the lovely Robin when you said Augustina, because I know that's one of his favourite beers. I love it. It's so nice. I was really lucky enough to play in bands for a few years and touring Germany. You, you go into a venue... And, and if there was a fridge full of Augustina, you'd be like, oh, my God, this is going to be a good gig. But, you know, <laughs> it's just, it is, as you say, it's so crisp. It's really clean tasting. It's stunning. I think the first time I had it was doing a gig in Germany. They had an English-speaking comedy club in Germany uh, near Alexander Platz on the Schoenherzer Allee. And opposite the, the club, there was a, a rock bar called White Trash. And it was absolutely brilliant. They had it in there. And I thought, oh, this is just gold. So we now take a break from James Dowdswell's Dream Pub, where Jaipur and Timothy Taylor share the draft honours, uh, but they're backed up by Keller Pills and Augustina. Though I have to say, James, of Camera's three-pronged attack... You're only really covering two of the prongs right now. Cider, notable by its absence. And for a West Country boy, some people are saying that's incredibly disappointing. But we shall see what lies therein as we head over to the weekly Moon Underwater pub quiz with the lovely Robin Allender. Okay, everybody, pens out, eyes down. It's time for the quiz. Played for Zimbabwe, but he was born in South Africa. I know Alaska is bigger, that wasn't the question. Put your phone away. Right, Michael Jackson's Funky Monkey have been deducted five points. Uh, welcome to this week's pub quiz at the Moon Underwater. As always, there are no prizes except the fun of taking part. I will read out three questions, then we'll go to a break to give you a chance to ruminate and cogitate, and then I'll go through the answers and we can see how well we all did. So this week's quiz is, suitably for James, about measurements of booze. So let's see how well the pub kid 
does in these three questions. So question one is, how many milliliters are there in my favorite drink, a pint? How many milliliters are there in my favorite drink, a pint? That's question one. Question two, barrels of beer come in different sizes with all kinds of great names like Kilderkins, Punchions, Hogsheads and Butts. But how many pints are there in a firkin? How many pints are there in a firkin? Can I give you a little clue with this? or is it... No. Okay, no clues, no clues. No clues, no clues. No clues. Um, okay, that's question two. How many pints are there in a firkin? Question three. Similarly, wine bottles also come in a great range of sizes. So a Balthazar, which is the second largest wine bottle you can get, a Balthazar is the equivalent of how many bottles of wine? So we all know a Magnum is two. How many is a Balthazar? So those are your questions for this week's pub quiz. Great quiz, Rob. And we will leave you spread-eagled and baking under the hot sun of tenterhooks. But don't worry, it won't be for too long. And you will now either hear a little bit of ambient music or an advert. Uh, And you'll also hear me saying head over to patreon.com forward slash moonunderpod to support the upkeep of this fair tavern. And also to find out about the many benefits of Moonunderpod patronship. We do thank all of those patrons who support us and uh, we praise them in our monthly bonus podcast, Behind the Cellar Door, where Robin and I descend behind the mirror of sorrow to talk all things pint and past. So we'll see you back in a very short while. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to The Moon Underwater, where Robin Allender and I are joined by the delightful James Dowdswell, writer, pubman, pintman, beer appreciator, pub kid, and comedian. But before we get back to filling James's dream pub, we have the small matter of The Moon Underwater pub quiz, Robin. Thank you, John. So, question one, how many millilitres are there in my favourite drink, a pint? How, I'm sure you both know this. What What are you saying? 
James? I think it's 440 mils. Are you out of your mind? Oh my god, oh, we're in in camera. Oh dear, he's <laughs> oh James dear. is the pub kid, he doesn't know how many milliliters in a pint. Oh dear. Oh dear. Oh dear. Oh dear. Oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> I'm going to have to chuck you out a camera now, James. I'm now worried I've got it wrong. Is it 558? It's 568, John. Oh, no, I wrote that down. That's what I wrote down. Sorry, I just I misspoke. Look, there. He is showing me his workings out. Five, six, eight. He does have a difficult hand, a bit like a doctor's handwriting. Sorry, yeah, five, six, eight. Sorry, sorry, so sorry. Five, six, eight, okay. Five, six, eight, point two, six, one. I'm obviously pouring my cans with a massive head. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the pint. I love that bit in, if you remember, 1984, where they've, they've gone metric with pints. Do you remember that? Yes. And they're complaining, half a litre isn't enough and a litre's too bloody much. You know, uh, it's great, isn't it? Pint is a good amount of liquid. Anyway, <laughs> speaking of liquid, barrels of beer. How do we get on with this one? How many pints are there in a firkin? I went 72. John, what have you got? I've gone 36. James is absolutely bang right with 72. Redemption. Was it a stab in the dark? Or did you know? I did know that. I did know that. I drank a lot of university at the uh, the Firkin pubs. Drank a lot of dog bolter. No one would remember Firkin pubs, but they were only there for a few years. The beer was horrendous. But if you drank 10 pints of it, you got a free T-shirt. <laughs> And at university, you need to clothe your back. So, uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, wow. So, yeah, Firkin is uh, 72, 72 pints because it's nine gallons. There's nine gallons in a Firkin and uh, there's eight pints in a gallon. <laughs> <laughs> eight pints in a gallon. Have you ever had a gallon? Well, that's just for breakfast. And that's just what I had. <laughs> And I had it too. Have you ever turned a gallon inside out? Oh, a few times. Yeah. God, I wonder if I've drank... Oh, imagine drinking a firkin of beer. Anyway, what about the wine bottles? How do we get on with that? A Balthazar, which is the second largest, is the equivalent of how many bottles of wine? It's a total guess from me. I know a Jeroboam... I'm thinking eight, but it's a total guess. Okay, we've got eight from James. Six. It is. It's greater than both. It's sixteen. Bloody hell! How do you carry that, Balthazar? Balthazar, and that's not even the biggest one. Imagine putting that in a shopping trolley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just or ordering it a bar at a bar. Let's have a Balthazar of, uh, of Chardonnay, please. How many glasses? Just, just yeah, house red. Just one glass, please. Weatherspoons went through a phase of you know they've got uh, wine on tap, on draft. But a Balthazar, that's a step far. Well, it's a superb pub quiz as ever from the lovely Robin, which it was one all between James and I. So I do hope you got on better at home. But James, Jimmy, Jimmy Dowdswell, or what two spirits are you choosing for your pub of the mind? Well, I'm not really a spirits man, but my first spirit choice would be two whiskies. And the two whiskies, my dad's whiskies, you might have even had them, Sheep Dip and Pig's Nose. You can't have two choices for your first spirit, James. Okay, I'll go for uh, Sheep Dip. Sheep Dip. When you say your dad's whiskies, what do you mean? In the late 70s, my dad decided it'd be fun to have a whiskey in his own pub. So he got in touch with somebody who distilled their own whiskey 
and he named it Sheep Dip. I remember when I was a kid, a friend of my mum's being bought a bottle of Sheep Dip. I think it was like in a little miniature, but he lived in Rockhampton. Yes, yeah, I think my parents had a, a bit of Sheep Dip. We exported to Rockhampton. It's, <laughs> it's a mile and a half away as the crow flies. How far and wide was that sold? Because I do remember that being a sort of talking point in the Thornbury area. I do as well, God. So what happened was... Uh, there really is nothing to do around there. <laughs> <laughs> so he did sheep dip and he followed up with pig's nose. So sheep dip is a malt, uh, pig's nose is a blended. And sheep dip won an award at a Harrods tasting and took off. So it did brilliantly and an independent sales team went and uh, sold it around the country and uh, i've actually had a wee dram of sheep dip in uh, australia when i was gigging in australia was it made in scotland yeah made in scotland james are you a billionaire <laughs> <laughs> yeah this comedy's just a uh no uh so my dad actually uh he just came up with the idea of sheep dip he marketed it and uh yeah the sheep dip and pig's nose actually sent me to private school. So the only reason I went to private school was through whiskey. So that is how booze runs through my, not only my veins, my brain cells. So your, your dad was one of the first celebrity uh, sort of spirit brand people. Did he sell it for $2 billion to Diageo? No, no, no. But it was Seagram's who uh, distributed it. But he came up with the name Sheep Dip. We were driving along a lane once, and he pulled over, and he said... Who's a lane? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we were driving around a lane. We pulled over at a blind bend, and uh, he said, Kids, this is the exact spot where I came up with the name Pig's Nose. And uh, Pig's Nose whiskey is a blended whiskey, and on the front it says, "'Tis smooth and soft as a pig's nose.'" So... Back then, it was quite unusual. Everything was quite conservative. So my dad decided to come up with some wacky names, and it did brilliantly. Uh, it was around the time of the punk band Zig Zig Sputnik. And is it still available? Yeah, it's still available. Yeah. Amazing. So, sheep dip whiskey for a taste of home for James. And what's your second spirit? Uh, my second spirit is, well, I'm cheating a little bit. I'm going to bring in gin, but I'm also going to bring in as a West Country boy, cider, I would like what me and my uh, friend Simon Shaw call a widnell. Yes. Two gins, two ciders, ice in the cider. Exactly. So that's what I want as my spirit. Hang on, hang on, hang on. You can't have gin and cider in separate glasses as your spirit. Well, our friend Sam used to drink it together and call it jider. Yeah, it's jider or nothing. Jider or nothing. <laughs> and jider is disgusting. Well, Jida is better than uh, our other thing we came up with. Was uh, He split up with a, a girl and we came up with, all we had was a bottle of gin and a six-pack of Guinness. So we came up with Ginnis. And let me tell you, Ginnis is a headbanger. I can still remember the hangover, and this was 26 years ago. I can feel it now, even thinking about it. I think I once had gin and water in, that, in a situation like that, and that's not a nice drink. Now, it's the sort of thing people drank in the 40s, isn't it? As landlord of the moon underwater, I have to see rules followed to a certain extent, and you've attempted to get three spirits and a cider into your two spirit choices. So I'll, I'll allow you gin. With a cider chaser. 
cider is not a spirit, James, as you <laughs> well know. Can it be a gin with open brackets, cider chaser, close brackets? <laughs> so I'll allow it, but the cider chaser has to be no more than a double shot measure. So you have to sell the cider in spirit measures. I think you might need to think about your wild cards. Yeah, if I knew how many millilitres was in a pint, I could work this out. You can have gin with 50 mil shots of cider. That's my final offer. Okay, but I've got to have 20 of those. Well, you can order as many as you like, but they can't be sold in anything more than 50 mil. <laughs> and, if, and if you smuggle in your own pint glass and put them in under the table, then that's your call. So which gin do you want with your 20 50 mil ciders? Well, I don't think, in the true spirit of Withnall and I, I think they would probably go for some sort of bathtub gin. I don't think it would be anything, uh, considering, you know, an hour before he's had antifreeze, I don't think we're really going to be going into whether it's Grey Goose or not. So uh, Grey Goose vodka, right? All right. So a very turbulent round there. But we've ended up with sheep dip whiskey, bathtub gin with brackets with 50 mil cider chasers, close brackets. Well, the thing is, if if this was in your wild card, then you could have cocktails, can't you? Of course you can. So could I think I think, James, I'm, I'm afraid to say I think you could have managed to get this round John without, you know, summoning his ire. <laughs> you have now made your choices and they are sheep dip whiskey and bathtub gin brackets with 50 mil cider chasers close brackets that can be sold in any quantity and can be decanted into your own personal glass if needs be but that's the letter of the law of desire and I think it's about time we all just took a little break just to, just count to five and find out what's going to be included in this week's Moon Underwater Pub Library <laughs> Well, this week's Moon Underwater Pub Library, John, is, of course, James's book, The Pub Manifesto. Um, hear, hear, hear. Which is absolutely brilliant. And the gag rate, I must say, is quite extraordinary. There's, there's a, a decent gag on more or less every paragraph. So it's very, very enjoyable to, to read. But, James, do you want to read an extract from, from the book? No. Uh, I love hearing <laughs> your voice on the podcast reading out. I love hearing you read Emma Ince's passage and various other people. So you have a wonderful uh, tombra. Great. So this is from chapter one of the Pub Manifesto by our guest James Dowdswell. And the chapter is called The Sobering Pub Situation. We are in a catastrophic crisis 18 pubs close per week in the UK. 18! That is a shocking statistic. The tabloids constantly berate us for binge drinking, and yet pubs are still going out of business. It doesn't make any sense. City analysts predict that with this radical rate of decline, pubs may be extinct by the 2040s. This is unthinkable and not far off, so what can be done to save our beloved British boozer? Pubs are community hubs, they are one of the cornerstones of British society and cannot be allowed to be called time upon. They are an idyllic institution, a one-stop shop for a plethora of purposes and possibilities. Where else can you celebrate, commiserate, socialise, hide, flirt 
Laugh, gossip, relax, and let off steam all at the same time. There is something quintessentially British about pubs. The rest of the world languishes in bars, whereas the British pub is a proactive beast. We have to engage. Passivity is not an option. We approach the bar, jostle for position, scan the pumps and shelves for the drink of our choice, interact with the bar staff, and acknowledge our fellow drinkers around us. Finally, we emerge victorious with not only our own drink paid for, but our friends' drinks as well. Compare this to a continental bar, where you secure a table, scour a menu, and order from waiting staff who bring drinks from afar. It is a passive, disengaged experience, and at the end of the evening you normally have to wait for an eternity for the bill to arrive and another eon for it to be processed. Imagine the frustrations of trying to embark on a continental bar crawl. Some of the best nights of my life have been spent in pubs, turning 18, falling 40, and getting engaged. Perhaps the most magical nights of all are the spur of the moment midweek evenings, where you only pop out for one drink, bump into friends, and the night escalates beyond your wildest expectations. Pubs are more than just a meeting place. They're a refuge in which you regale stories, laugh, cry, sup and sing. The pub is a great leveller, a rare place where everyone is equal. You can be a traffic warden or a high court judge, but in the pub there is no preferential treatment. We drink from the same glasses and sit on the same stools and sofas. It is a sanctuary, a home away from home. Stunning stuff, James. Here, here. High hands, high hands. I think that I, I love the way you write about that, the idea that it is a slightly British thing in terms of the, the actual way you order drinks. Yeah, it is a very British thing, isn't it? I mean, we did dip into the continental way of doing things, didn't we? As lockdown re-emerged, we were going to pubs and we would get, we get drinks brought to us. And um, that's quite a, a strange thing, isn't it? Um, I went to see uh, James Walsh from Star Sailor and I went with my partner and we took two little doggies with us and we sat at the back and, you know, you just sort of put your hand up and you get brought beer. I mean, it's amazing. So I think that even the waiter service or waitress service is done better in the UK because they, you know, they really want to pump out the beers or pump out the drinks. There's a vibrancy that you don't get on the continent. It's more relaxed there, but it's more, um, as I say, it's more intimate. It's more up and atom in our country, isn't it? Mm. There is an urgency to ordering in a pub in the UK. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not here to chat while I wait for a drink. I'm here to drink while I may or may not even have a chat. <laughs> so the library adds another tome to its heaving shelves. But also we've got a space in the Moon Underwater pub jukebox for you, James. Every pub needs a jukebox played at the correct volume. So what album are you adding to the Moon Underwater's musical library? Well, it's a 90s classic. It's the Lemonheads, Shame About Ray. Oh, yes. Great. The reason I went for it, one of my favourite albums, but it's it's relaxing. It's just nice. It's It doesn't get in your face. It just washes over you. And if you get to the bar, you know, get to the pub 20 or 30 minutes before your friends or whoever you're going to meet, you can just sit there and let that wash over you as you uh, sup your first drink. Very short album, though. Very, very short album, isn't it? You can get it under half an hour? Yeah, it's something like that. It's about 28 minutes, 29 minutes. Brilliant album. Every song is is an absolute banger, though. I love the Lemonheads. I'm not hugely familiar with the Lemonheads, Robin. You have to give me a couple of facts. Well, I'll tell you what. In 27 minutes, you could be. Yeah, yeah. Just listen to (laughs) It's a Shame About Ray. It's brilliant. It's like... 
he came from a kind of a punk background, even Dando. He's an incredibly good-looking bloke. Even though he's basically tried every drug under the sun, he still looks incredibly beautiful. <laughs> um, he's got long, <laughs> blonde, dirty hair. Yeah, they got super famous around the time that album came out because they covered Mrs. Robinson. And then that cover, I think it was to do with the, gra- the reissue of The Graduate, or it just come out on video or something, but um, the album didn't actually have that cover on, and then the record label reissued it with the cover on, and then it became a huge seller, and they kind of became a huge kind of indie pop band. But it's basically power pop in some way, you know, he's just a brilliant... God, he is handsome, isn't he? Yes, he's a very, very handsome man. Yeah, and, and weirdly, um, um, they refused, or Evan Dandler refused to play Mrs. Robinson for years. Yeah, yeah. Because he felt that was a cover, it wasn't his true spirit. And I've recently seen him, and he did actually play. He has started playing it again live now. He has started playing it. Cool. Because it's shame about Ray is so short that they sometimes do gigs and do play all. It's a shame about Ray just as part <laughs> of the gig. That's how short the album is. They're one of those bands that not many people. Some people really love them, so I was surprised um, to hear you say that, Rob, and it was fantastic. But I remember a few years ago at Glastonbury, Evan Dando was playing a small stage, and it was magical because there was only about 200 people watching Evan Dando, and it was very intimate and fantastic. He got an encore, of course he did, and he's a very charismatic performer and an absolute lunatic. I stood next to him in the bar um, in Bristol, the Vic Rooms, Bristol, when I went to see them there, and uh, I think... um, Asian Dub Foundation were on. He was jumping around and moshing and banged into me, knocked my glasses off. The beast. He looks like a cross between um, Kurt Cobain and Greg Rosetsky. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Greg yes. Wallace then, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, great band. There's a brilliant Daniel Kitson does a brilliant routine about Lemonheads, where he talks about how I think he's in New York and he just saw they were playing, and it was just such a pure experience seeing them because it was like. After all, that kind of 90s fame had died down. You were just left with the hardcore fans, and like that was the kind of ideal gig-going experience. It's a really lovely kind of routine he does. I've never been too good with names The cellar door was open I could never stay away I know it's Great addition to the Moon Underwater pub jukebox, but we have had an awful lot of chat about your choices, James. You've been the first troublesome student at the Moon Underwater, so I can't wait to hear what you are selecting for your wildcard choice. Wildcard. Now, I'm going to obviously take my fiancé with me to the perfect pub. Her name is Leo, and her favourite drink is vintage champagne from Waitrose. Waitrose Champagne, Vintage Champagne. Uh, So I have to say, I think it was the 2008 Vintage we had recently that she particularly liked. But I have to say, I've tasted, I don't want to name brands, but I've tasted all sorts of champagnes. But You can name all the brands you like, mate. Okay. Paul Roger, uh, I'm a big fan of theirs. It's a beautiful champagne, but I have to say, the Waitrose Champagne has just got a lovely buttery mouthfeel that other champagnes don't it's so drinkable it's absolutely beautiful and it isn't that expensive uh what are we talking about price wise i think we're talking about 19 pounds something like that huh well that's a steal for some champagne Uh, and it's got a buttery mouthfeel now what on earth does that mean it means that 
if you shovel out of butter in your mouth, you get exactly what you taste. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> uh, no, it's just it's just got a lovely feel to it. It's soft. It's not too it's not too sweet. It's not too bitter. It's just right. It's kind of it's what I imagine Harry Potter has when he has butter beer. Oh, lovely. Uh, well, I tell you what, I once actually tried butterbeer at the Harry Potter experience and it, it, uh, it ain't great. Yes, me too. It's, uh, it's, it's very sickly, isn't it? Yes, it's too sweet. You're barred. Well, Waitrose Champagne added to uh, James Dowdswell's Pub of the Mind, Pub of Desire. But what are we not going to have in this pub, James? What are you barring? Now, uh, I was going to initially say Sky Sports, but Danny Wallace covered that beautifully. What I am going to say, and John, I want you to put your fingers in your ears, scepticism about dogs. This, John Robbins, is going to be your worst nightmare. It's a pub-friendly dog. A dog-friendly pub, not a pub-friendly dog. Friendly dog, no. (laughs) A dog-friendly pub filled with pub-friendly dogs. Actually, I am right in saying a pub-friendly dog as well because I I think only you know it shouldn't be every dog, but uh, certainly dogs who are well trained enough to be in a pub should be allowed in a pub. How are you gonna make sure that happens? What's gonna? How are you gonna stop a yappy dog? Yeah, a yappy Good motherfucker question. coming into this pub. <laughs> I will be there, and I will calm the dog down. Okay, and you'll kill the the dog. The yaps. If there is dog- no such thing as a there's no such thing as a badly behaved dog. It's just a badly behaved owner that doesn't know how to look after its dog. No, that's not true. There are badly behaved dogs with badly behaved owners. Yes, exactly. That's what I mean. It's the owner's fault. It's never the dog's fault. But that doesn't mean their dog suddenly isn't badly behaved. Well, kick the owner out and leave the dog there. The problem is, James, because you're a dog lover, if a yappy dog came into this pub, you'd go, oh, he's just trying to say hello, isn't he nice? And then stroke it and get dog all over your hands before touching my pint glass that you serve me. So I'm then going to leave immediately because there's dog everywhere. (laughs) Essence of dog. Essence of dog. Uh, What about the hair of the dog? Obviously, it's up to, you know, the owners need to look after the dogs properly. But I would like to say in my moon underwater pub, there will be the perfect dog entering the perfect pub. They will be well behaved. They will be under the table, little eyes poking out. And when there's a, a drop crisp, maybe they jump out like a hungry hippo and pop back again. They'll be <laughs> sitting on laps. They'll be. They'll speak to you when spoken to. Uh. It don't have to be your lap, John. And do you know this? Basically, it is up to the landlord's discretion. Because the only reason dogs aren't allowed in pubs is if there's an open kitchen. And if not, there's an open kitchen, then it's purely up to London's discretion. So when they say dogs aren't allowed, uh, what they mean is the landlord doesn't want dogs in their pub. Yeah, but that's fair enough. Because what what next? Oh, a pigeon's allowed, a cat's allowed, a lion's allowed, a horse is allowed in the pub. You don't allow <laughs> other animals in a pub. Oh, can, can you bring snakes in this pub? It's very well behaved. To be honest, there's um, the cat and wheel. There's a pub in Bristol that uh, has like 27 cats in. Yeah, that I don't mind. What if I came to your pub and said, oh, I've bought a thousand flies with me. They're very <laughs> well behaved. They'll just sort of sit quietly all over the pub. You'd say, get out with your flies. <laughs> yeah. And one of the flies is one of those really yappy ones. <laughs> oh, they're the worst. Yeah. 
It is a tricky one. I just think there's no way to kind of manage it. Yeah, because you could say it's a dog-friendly pub and that that's a nice dog, but what's to stop someone bringing in a big, smelly dog that that barks a lot? Well, what's to stop bringing in a big, smelly rugby player who just farts a lot? I mean, well, you could bar him. Yeah, you could have yeah. barred rugby players yeah, who fart a lot. You're not going to bar a rugby player and say. Excuse me, I know you're 26 stone, but can you leave your flatulence is is upsetting the locals? Well, I can't disallow it because it's a slightly esoteric but legitimate choice to bar scepticism about dogs. Just make a note of that. I could have snuck it in as a uh, one of my drinks could have been a bowl of water or a dog-friendly beer. Well, when I said, what's your pub like? He just could have said there are dogs there. (laughs) <laughs> I could have said that, yeah. It was warming up then. And also, they'll help turn the wine. Turn the wine inside out. They're going nowhere nowhere near. Not in the moon underwater. When you pat a dog, right? You know when you pat a dog? Whenever I pat a dog, I just have to wash my hands straight after. Is that normal? Is that... Yeah, that's, that's fine. Well, how do you live with a dog then? You must be washing your hands the whole time. Yeah, I do wash my hands a lot. But our dog Angel was very, very well groomed. She, um, she's not dirty. Do you do that thing where the, where the dog lets you? Does the dog lick your face and you kiss it and go? Ooh. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'd rather shoot myself in the temple. <laughs> well, John, you've met our dog. You've met. A, yeah, you brought your dog to a wedding, mate. Yeah, I brought a dog to a wedding. Who takes a dog to a wedding? She went to a funeral a couple of weeks later. Oh my god! <laughs> she comes over with us. She's coming to this pub. She's coming to this pub. Even though you're outnumbered here on the moon underwater by dog sceptics, I'm sure there are many people listening who would have loved to have seen your dog at their wedding or their funeral. Um, so I, you know, I'm going to concede that people do like dogs. I'm not. I'm not not blind to that. But this is your pub. This is your pub. These are your dogs and other people's dogs. You're like a sort of pied piper of uh, dogs. I actually did a gig the other week at the Pleasance, and it was a dog. For dogs? But yeah, it was for dogs. It was for dogs and their owners. It was called Stand Up, Sit Down, Roll Over. Oh, my and God. I, and <laughs> the, the Jack Russells were quite heckly, to be honest, and the sausage dogs. And at the end, I thought, rather than do the sort of Chris Rock drop the mic, at the end, rather than do the Chris Rock drop the mic, I do fetch. But it was great fun. Absolutely great fun. Was it great fun? Yeah, I'm sure it was. It was. How many dogs were there? Uh, I would say about 30. I did a benefit a few years ago and there were 15 and I, I spoke to a dog I know called Rufus from the stage and I asked him to come to me and he actually ran towards the speaker because that's where he heard my voice from. Hurry up, please. It's time. So... What are we going to call this absolute dog fest, uh, James? What name are you giving to your dream pub? So I came up with three post-COVID pubs. The first was Furlough and Firkin, second Corona in hand, and I thought I settled upon All Bar One Meter. That's nice. All Bar One Meter. You can just give each other a bit of space in the pub. Mm. That is true. I think after, after the pandemic, getting back into being in a press in a bar is not going to be very nice, yeah. isn't it, after a long time of no. having that distance. Yeah. Bit of space, all by one metre. All by one metre. Do you have to keep a metre away from your dogs? No. At all times? No. Snuggles ahoy! Instead of leads, you could have, like, metal metre rules. 
which you, they're tied around but, the neck. I'll tell you what, John, as you're a good friend of mine, there will be a sub-rule that all dogs have to stay at least one metre away from John Robbins, the landlord. Yes, that would be great. Just give him a wide berth. Don't even look him in the eye. He's like Prince. Don't look him in the eye. And maybe I'll go to your pub in a big Zorb ball. <laughs> like DJ Shadow at festivals. Anyway, James, we thank you for visiting the moon underwater and creating your perfect pub. A Victorian affair, 20 minutes from a bus stop, so there are no idiots there. You've got Jaipur, Timothy Taylor. You've got cans and bottles of Keller Pills and Augustina. You've got a, a, an outside-the-box approach to your spirits. So you've got sheep dip whiskey, bathtub gin with 50ml cider chasers. And the Lemonheads are playing as we all avoid going anywhere near one of the billion dogs in the <laughs> pub. It's called All Bar One Metre, and we give you this pub to keep as your own for whenever you need it the most. But what song from Shame About Roy, Ray? <laughs> <laughs> what, what song from your album, The Shame About Ray? It's a shame about Ray. But what song would you like from your album, It's a Shame About Ray, to play you out this evening? (laughs) (laughs) I think the upbeat number, Mrs. Robinson. Well, you'd have Mrs. Robinson. Interesting. Only because it's the one John knows. And please do get a copy of James's book, The Pub Manifesto. It's available... Where is it available from, James? From all good booksellers, I hear. No, it is available now, because I bought the rest of the uh, stock from camera. It's available via my Instagram, Dowdswell Drinkswell. Great, so go over to Dowdswell Drinkswell on Instagram and get yourself a copy of the Pub Manifesto. And do go and see James live. Do you sell, uh, do you sell the books live as well when you're doing your pub shows? Occasionally, but you know what it's like, John. Middle class, far too embarrassed to do so. Yes, yes. So please remove all embarrassment from James and and get a copy of the book via Instagram. So to play James Dowdswell out, as he's accompanied by 56 dogs uh, who've been (laughs) waiting for him outside the moon underwater patiently and, may I say, very quietly and well-behaved. He will untie their 56 leads uh, and walk off with all bar one metre under his arm as we listen to Mrs Robinson from It's a Shame About Ray. Bye-bye. And it's you, Mrs. Robinson, Jesus loves you more than you will know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. God bless you, please, Mrs. Robinson. Heaven holds a place for those who pray. Well, there he goes. Jimmy D. Oh, Jimmy Downswell doing forward rolls all down the street. That's how happy he is. Um, so glad to have James here on the moon underwater and please do check out his book The Pub Manifesto next week we'll be welcoming Radio 1 Disc Jockey Supreme and also huge stalwart of uh, the Welsh language music scene the one and only Hugh Stevens. so we look forward to welcoming Hugh through our doors as ever do head to moonunderpod.com for all tickets to the live shows We've got uh, Ollie, Ollie Smith this week, who is the wine taster extraordinaire you will know from your screens. And we've got uh, two more after that with guests to be announced. They have been booked, but we're keeping it a little bit of a secret. Uh, and also head to patreon.com forward slash moonunderpod to contribute in any way you want. 
Okay, folks, bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.